Kia ora, and welcome to Generally Famous. Great to have you along. I'm Simon Bridges, and each week I talk to generally famous but always interesting guests about life, love, and what makes them tick. This week I have Dame Denise Lestrange Corbet, New Zealand fashion designer, businesswoman, founder of World with Francis Hooper. Welcome, Denise, to Generally Famous. Thank you, Simon. Now, Dame Denise Strange Corbet, there's a lot going on there, but you weren't always a dame, to state the obvious. So I want to go back. You were you you're born in New Zealand. Yes. And whereabouts in New Zealand? I want to say Remuera. I feel like I've read that somewhere. You're right. I mean, we, you probably we weren't call physically. Wemuera. Wemuera. <laughs> so were you posh as a... In terms of, I mean, I know you can't probably physically remember being born. It's no. probably a good thing you can't. But yep. uh, was it? Was it? Um, it wasn't working class. That's what I'm trying to uh, say. We weren't. No, we weren't posh. But um, both my parents, who were educated in India, uh-huh. went. Um, was it a sort of a colonial thing? Yes, mm. and so they both went to boarding school at five and came home at 18, um, and they sat the Cambridge exams in um, England, and so they were fluent in Hindustani and English. So I guess they had wealthy parents. Mm. So, um, yeah. And you had a... I, I, I feel like I'm right to say you had a sister. Was she older, younger? Have a sister and a brother. Wonderful. Sisters, older, brothers, younger. Right. So there you are in a room. What, and what did your, um, I'm probably being stereotypical, but I feel like um, it wasn't yesterday. Was it your, your, your dad was working? What did he do? Um, he was a mechanic. He right. was also a wool classer. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I think he's cars. And, and right, well, he might have known, um, who was that really? McLaren. Yeah, no, probably not. Uh, he wasn't because he wasn't Remy Wearer. I learned that like oh, a week maybe. or so ago. Anyway, that's... I, I don't think we had a flash car like that. No. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, he was a car mechanic, as far as I know. Right, and what I also know is that um, you have said your childhood was memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. Mm. And I know fundamentally, and you, you, obviously without the, the detail, but. Um, what at about three, mm. you effectively with your mother and your siblings escaped to London with my sister. Yes, my um, my father was um, an alcoholic, mm. very bad alcoholic, and my mother he used to beat her, mm. and so she decided one day that she'd had enough, and she packed us up, and we got on a ship, and well. Went to Southampton. Do you remember anything about that ship I remember trip? being on the ship. I remember riding a rocking horse hmm. on the ship. Sounds like the sort of thing I'd buy in, at World for... Uh, yep. I was going to say high, but I'm sure very when, reasonably priced rocking very, horse. And when they come blame. in, I'm going to call your wife and tell her. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a little off here joke. My wife has just bought a, a giraffe <laughs> with the lights or something hang, hanging out of its mouth. But anyway, that's another uh, story. So... And then you're in in London. I mean, you. How long were you in London for? Because I know, obviously, we. I know at some level you had to have come back here at some point. But your your childhood years were in London. Oh yes, yes. Till I was twenty twenty seven. Twenty seven. Right. Yeah. So educated in London, brought up in London. Blah blah. Did you have anything to do with your dad in that time? 
Um, he used to ring us at Christmas because, of course, in those days you had to go through an operator. You couldn't just pick the phone up and ring someone. So it was like, oh, okay, Dad's written and he's going to call on this day before Christmas, and you had to sort of hope you didn't get cut off. And um, yeah, so he he did used to call us like once a year, but otherwise um, he wrote letters to my mum. Right. Um, and then when I was 14, they were reconciling. Right. And so um, I was really excited about that. I was excited about leaving London. Well, leaving the, the life I had in London. Not necessarily London. It wasn't London's fault. Um, and we were going to be in New Zealand for my 14th birthday. And so we sold everything that we had, which was not a lot, but, you know. And we were leaving, I think, around mid-February to come back to New Zealand. And then in January, beginning of January, um, I was at school and I remember over the tannoy hearing, will Denise Estrange Bay come to the headmistress's office? And I thought, oh, ooh, was that me? Because I was daydreaming, of course, in French, I remember. And I said to my friend, did did they just ask for me to go to the headmistress's office? And sure, I don't know. And anyway, it was lunchtime. So they said, we'll meet you where we normally meet. And I said, oh, OK. And I thought, I kept thinking, shit, what have I done? What have I done? Because you don't go. Um, and her surname was Vaughan Davis, and everyone called her VD. Oh, is there anyone like, who doesn't have a hyphenated name in the story? No, but of course, VD was a venereal <laughs> disease. So everyone called her VD, and I thought, oh, my God, she's heard that. I've called her that. Oh, my God. And, um, had you? Not of course you had, you had a guilty conscience. Everybody had, everybody had, because she had false teeth and she used to stand on the podium. Um, but every morning at him at hymns, her teeth used to come out while she was singing and she'd fumble and sort of put them back in again. And she used to drink a lot too. And people had had a wig and people used to go, oh God, VD's drunk again. And oh, her teeth fell out and we'd all giggly. And we're talking 2,000 girls, okay, in London. At What's the school called? It was called Garrett Green. Right. Garrett Green School for Girls right. in Tooting. And um, so, you know, walk into her office, I'm thinking, oh God, what have I done, what have I done? And I got there and um, she was like, hello, Denise, come in. I thought, oh God, this is weird because I'd never been to her office and my uncle was in there and I was like oh hi Uncle Arthur what are you doing here and he's like oh look your mum's outside in a taxi we're, we're just gonna go home and I said oh okay and I got in a taxi and I'd never been in a black cab so I was very excited mm. I was like my god you can sit on this side or you can sit on that side because mm. in a car you can't do that um, and I said to my mum, what, what's going on? She goes, we just need to go home. And I said, what's, has someone died? Oh, God, no, someone's died. And I named everyone that I hoped would die. So I said, my grandmother died. She said, no. I was like, oh, okay. Mm, then it must be someone that I like. So I went through everyone and it was no, 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 no. And I said, last of all, I said, it's the dog, isn't it? It's the dog's died. And she said, no, the dog's not died. And I said, oh, well, I can't think of anyone else that I would worry about. And so we got home and my grandmother opened the front door and as soon as I looked at her, I said, oh, my God, it's Dad. It's Dad. And it was. He had died. And so, um, you know, I was 13 and it was just before we were coming home and we just got a telegram saying, don't come. He's buried. Yeah. Gosh, isn't it amazing? It's like those sort of sliding doors type things, a different life you could have had potentially if it had all sort of worked out. I mean, whether it would have or not, we obviously don't know. But I remember going to the corner of the hall and sliding down the wall 
and my grandmother just standing there and watching because she had no empathy at all. And I just collapsed. I couldn't cope with the fact that we'd come so close, yet it was so far. Mm. You know, we had saved up and we had our airfares and I'd never been on an aeroplane and the excitement was incredible. We were going to start this new life and all my friends were so jealous. Um, and it was all gone. And speaking yes. of empathy, I mean, I, th- I think I'm right to say I've, I've seen that you perhaps, maybe this is overplaying, but had a fraught relationship with your mother. I mean, mm. do you have empathy for her? I mean, she, she, I'm presuming for what you said, would have been at some level excited that there was going to be this reconciliation and that they were oh, going yeah. back. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he, taken from he'd always said, you know, she was the only woman he loved. Um, and so for them to reconcile, I was really happy and excited. All of us were. Mm. Um, and then it was all like, boom, gone. And fundamentally, you didn't know your father. Is my sense no, of what you're saying. No, I didn't. I how, never saw him since I was three. And how do you sort of, um, without, you know, if I feel I've turned this into a shrink's couch, and I'm almost so, sorry for that, but it, it's fascinating. You've said it wasn't a happy childhood. I mean, what do you think the, do you feel even today there's an effect of all, on that, of, all of that? I mean, did it make you driven? Did it make you want to be a, 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 a rebel? Or what, what, what would you sort of say from... Um, no, my grandmother was amazing at making you feel like a piece of shit. She mm. was you know, should have got an Oscar for this it. This is your father's mother. No, my mother's right. mother. Who you were living with? Yes. And she would say, "You know you're going to amount to nothing. You're going to be pregnant at 15, wear red lipstick and high heels. That is all you're going to achieve." Well, two out of three were right. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Well, not so high the heels these days. Um, and that's all she ever said is, you're going to be a nothing. You're going to amount to nothing. You're going to be nothing. And I don't know subconsciously whether that affected me. You wanted to prove it wrong. No, I didn't want to prove it wrong. I just thought, you just talk rubbish. I don't even want to listen to what you're saying because I just, I didn't not believe it. But you sort of, when someone says things like that to you all the time. It's very cruel. It's very cruel. She was very cruel. Um, and my mum could be quite cruel too, without, I don't know, my mother always used to tell me I was adopted, and I just used to cry, and then she'd say, no, 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 you, you're not, you're not adopted, sorry, I was just joking, and it just used to, like... It's not very funny. It's not funny at all. No. I was little, you know, I was, like, three, and she used to say this all the time, like, well, you know you're adopted, and I used to think, oh my God, am I adopted? And if you don't behave, you're going to go back to your real mother. And it was just, you know, it was just mindfuck. Sorry if mm. I'm allowed to use that you word. You are. You are. It's, it's, it's my podcast and I allow you. Now, you're then several more years in London. Mm. Why did you come back to New Zealand? I was working in Japan um, after I'd done my fashion course. I went to work for a fashion designer in London. He was opening a store in Japan. He took me with him to help with that. And I thought, oh, look, I'm halfway to New Zealand. I might as well go and see where I was born. Mm. Um, And I only came for two weeks because I thought I was going to be really boring. There's not much going to be going on in New Zealand. And my father's brother lived here with his wife. And um, they took me from the top of the north to the bottom of the South Island in their Mercedes. And we had... Oh, you were posh. We had the most wonderful time. No, and he kept saying, put the radio down, I can't hear. And I was like, oh, God, he's so old. Um, And she and I just, she became like my surrogate mother. She never had children. And um, I wasn't related to her 
ever. No. I mean, through blood. No. But when she died, I remember her in the hospital and she said to me, if I could have one wish, it was that you were my daughter. Oh. And she was just, we just, I just loved her Sometimes to people without children can be almost bitter at it. She funny called story. a spade a spade. Don't mm. mess with her. Um, but she was so lovely and so kind. And someone I always went to for advice. I remember when starting the business, I went to her and I said, um, what should we do? We want to either get a house or start a business. And she said, don't get the house. Uh, the business will get you the house. The house will not get you a business. So we decided to pull our money and... Was it good advice? It was great advice, yeah, and it yeah. was the right advice. My my parents, and I, they were very good parents, by the way. My mother still is. My father's no longer with us. But um, I think every bit of advice they've given me has been wrong <laughs> at every <laughs> point of time. Don't go to Oxford. Don't go to politics. Oh, oh, don't get right. out of politics. What are you? Anyway, that's by the way. Um, so just briefly, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but... So, given that, mm. growing up in the UK, now you've been here, are you a Kiwi or a Pom? Oh, or a Peewee? Or, no, I've always know. been a Kiwi. I've always yeah. had a New Zealand passport. Yes. Um, Not that it really matters, but is it a I've always a, thought myself as a Kiwi because I was fe- born Do you feel here. English? No, British? I, I don't feel English, but I do have a great love for it. And I've got so many friends there from school and... Um, work and people, when I go back, I have so many people to see. Because over here you sound British. Over there you probably sound like a Kiwi. Well, they all say, oh, God, you've got a funny twang. You talk with a twang. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't. And then I come back here and people say, oh, you're so English. So a um, bit of both, I suppose. So what you're telling me, I think I heard this right. When you are in Japan, you were already, I don't want to put it too kind of fancy, but mm. you were in fashion at a level. You were working yeah. in that. yeah. Um, and were you always destined for fashion, do you think? No, I think I was actually destined... Um, I wanted to be a teacher at school, an English teacher. Hmm. And um, I was going to university to do that, and I turned it down and my place and decided that I'd go and work for a bit um, because I just wanted money. You know, I just wanted to earn some money. I had no money. And so things just sort of fell into place and and I I found that I really needed something that challenged me something and the only thing that challenged me was the creative area um useless art always wanted to be an artist just can't paint to save my life um so I guess fashion was all part of that 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 group and it still does challenge me and I need that once I do something and I've learned how to do it, I get very bored very mm. quickly. I've got, you know, the attention span of a gnat. So I found a very creative role. And, and with fashion, of course, you know, the seasons change and you have to completely reinvent yourself. Yes. So it's always new. You, always you know, changing. you have the end of winter, then you have summer. And overnight, literally, the shop is completely transformed. Everything's gone and all the new stuff is in. So you've got to always be working. And I, I don't think there's any other profession that completely changes twice a year. Yes. Like completely, out the door, everything's short-sleeved for summer. Um, and it has to be different. It has to be completely different. Then you don't have an artist who does two you know, exhibitions a year and yes. his work is, or her work is completely different. So it really is a very challenging um, position to be in. I bet. What, I know that you, 
when you started World in what, late 80s, 89 or something? 89, yeah. Oh, the story goes, you had 400 bucks in your pocket and, and you're with France, I think, at that stage. So what, what uh, tell me about that. What possessed you? What was your hope? How did it go? Um, I was working for a fashion designer and he was working in the shop next door for a fashion shop. I wasn't a designer. Um, and we just used to chat and um, say how bored we were. And one day he just said to me, um, why don't we go into business together? How much money have you got? And I said, uh, $200. How much have you got? And he said, 200 He said, well, let's pool it and start our own business. And I said, oh, I'm going to have to think about this. And he still ribs me about it today that I had to say, because he said anyone else would have bitten my arm off. And you're going, uh-uh. oh, I've got to think about it. I said, well, I'm the more sensible one. Um, and so we did. We pulled our money, and that was it—the beginning of world. And it's been amazing. What's the what's the um, what's world about? Well, it's quite funny. We did a we had to go on this program years ago. We were asked to go on this TV program, and it was all about your brand and what the experts thought about your brand. And I remember France and I had to go over to Waikiki for the day, and we were with this expert who like. Oh, I don't know, he was the head of something at Watties. And he'd sat us down and he had a whiteboard and he was, and it was all filmed. And he was saying, you know, oh, that's how you run your business. And we both sat there like, oh, really? Oh, God, that's boring. And then he said, now the name, you need to change your name. <laughs> and we both went, what? He said, no, no, you have to change the name world. You cannot have a company called World. I mean, what does it mean, World? Or, I mean, what does it mean? You can't. You need to change your name. And you know, the guy who was running the show said, well, you know, what do you think? And we said, no, 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 no. And they were like, no, no, you've got to change your name because, you know, we brought these experts in and that's their advice. And we said, well, no, not changing it. Just, he's wrong. And we just stuck to Actually, it is, I'd never really thought of this. It is a very um, ambitious name. Well, we it's all not have... Kind of, we, you didn't call it, you know... Theatre or something. You went. No. You went big. We went big, but we always have stocked things from all over the world. Yes, and that's why, and we still do. I mean, the giraffe holding the chandelier that your wife bought. Yeah, well, where's that from? Italy. Yeah, of course it is. Um, the aesthetic of it's not mentioned the giraffe anymore. Okay, all right. I don't even. <clears throat> yeah, no. Look, um, mm-hmm. the aesthetic of world or is that always changing, or would you say there are some basic kind of things that is your look and what you're about? What I've always said is it was never contrived. It is us. It's just an extension of our personalities. So we didn't think let's do this and let's do that because then people think we're really cool and let's do that. I mean, mm. it was, just never was that. It was just we do what we like and it's quite different from everyone else and how we think and what we stock and what we think is amazing. Um, and that, you know, puts you aside from the rest because it's who you are. Yeah. We're not trying to be anyone else. We're no. not trying to emulate, you know, a shop overseas, which so many people do. Mm. Um you know, if you know what you're doing, you do it yourself. Yeah. You're the leader, you're not the follower. I think that's right. I think if you do what's, as, as kind of corny as it sounds, what's in your heart, you go for it. It, it, it tends to go well. Yeah, yeah and it's, yeah. you know, it's like... And if it doesn't, at least you were doing what was you. Well, there's fashion designers, you know, who copy overseas trends and overseas looks. That's not design, that's no. copying. There's a, there's a big difference between creating and just 
copying someone else. What would you say the state of the, in quotes, fashion industry or rag trade was like then? Oh, it was... Was there anything going on? It was... Yes, there was. I mean, um, in in 89, shops shut at one o'clock on a Saturday and were closed all day Quite Sunday. Right too. Which was absolutely terrible, I have to say, because <laughs> we always had women queuing up wanting to buy a giraffe holding a chandelier, and we're like, <laughs> we're shut. Yeah, I'd um, it was just yeah. a giraffe. <laughs> anyway. Um, but it was very community-based. I remember, you know, we had to write out receipts by hand, and we'd go in in the morning, and we had a rubber stamp, and we'd stamp all the um, tissue paper with our logo, like we never got it printed, and we stamped our bags, and, you know, you're always busy doing things, and... And there was a shop um, in Vulcan Lane called Monsoon, and Greg Main was the owner. It was all racy swimsuits, wasn't it? No, that's, another that's a different Monsoon. Okay. Yeah, you're thinking of the ladies' Monsoon. Well, I'm not. It was the man's zoot suits. They did zoot suits. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, and um, he used to go every morning around to all the shops. He's going, all right, how are you going, how are you going? Because talk like that. How are you going? How are you going? How much have you made? How much have you taken? And he'd ask everyone, like, and everyone would tell him, like, it's incredible. You know, oh, we've taken this. Oh, good, good, good. Um, and he was like um, the godfather, I guess, of the street. And and all the owners of the stores knew the owners because we normally worked in the shops, whereas mm. now, you know, you wouldn't know who owned anything because mm. they're, they're not in the stores, even though we still are. Um, and it was it was just very different. And there was no imports, as in like China and things like. It was New Zealand made. There were the pepper trees, the Thornton Halls. Oh, yeah, I remember them. All the Jag, you know, yes. all the local made brands. Yes, my buddy, you won't mind, but Barry Kirkley was, I think, the general manager for Pepper Tree and oh, then yeah. Jag. And uh, but anyway, now you were though. Yep. Okay. You've you've told me there was a fashion industry mm. at a level then in, in New Zealand. You were, though, a pioneer. And um, and I would say, because as you say, it's an extension of your personality. And I says, you know, you were you were um, uh, original, quirky, outspoken, maybe maybe a maverick at a, at a level. You, my sense is that one of the things, and I haven't done huge re- research on this, but I just have the sense, one of the things you were one of the first into was the catwalk and that mm. whole kind of sense of that in Fashion Week and mm-hmm. both here and abroad. Um, and I know, uh, you know, if I cast my mind back, you had um, Hine Elder with the nuclear-free top, which, you know, seemed very radical the at the flag. time. The flag, I should say. And then the you, you had a drag queen, which would again would have been very radical and, you know, on the edge at that point in town, although not now not so much. I think um, that was the Weller Fashion Awards and... They were um, showed on television, and I remember after it was filmed and the drag queens or drag artistes, as they like to be called, came out, um, the person who ran the Fashion Week said, look, there's a good chance we've just heard from TV NZ that your section might not be on when it's broadcast because you've used drag queens. And we said, well, that's all right. We don't actually care whether it's shown or not. We didn't do it to be no. on TV. We did it because we loved it and we support them. Um, anyway, it was shown and the two drag queens, Buckwheat and Bertha, both ended up getting a cooking show out of it, <laughs> which was hilarious because they were both so drunk all the time on this television show and they just used to like whip up God knows what. I don't think they cooked anything. <laughs> and it's hilarious. It's still online and we watch it sometimes and just Jolly. laugh. Brilliant. They got the spin-off. But the, um, you were always at Fashion Week? 
No. Uh, the importance of those sort of catwalk events or not? Um, it depends whether it's, I mean, it's so changed now. It's all about, you know, influencers, whatever they are. In front rows. And are you an influencer? No, I'm not, and I don't ever. <laughs> oh, you are too. Oh, no. well, you're not. You're not on social media. I'm not. I don't do any social media. Why? Because it's just such a waste of time. All the time people spend taking photos of their breakfast and what they had for lunch. <laughs> Who the hell cares? I don't care. I don't want to know, and I don't particularly want people to know what I'm doing or where I'm no. doing it. You know, people are just living their lives through their phones, and they think everyone wants to see. What they're doing, and they don't. I went into town yesterday, and I was walking past a shop, and there was this young girl in a shop. She was a customer, and she was taking a photo of herself in the mirror, obviously for her <laughs> Instagram. And I actually thought, don't. No. There's nothing there that is going to make someone want to be you. Yes. Just do something else. Go and read a book, or go and do educate yes. yourself. You just don't need to be doing that. No, that. mate was telling me about a similar, you know, he went out to an island um, and on his jet skier and, and, and you know, literally these, these boats cruise in, the girls get off, you know, late teens, they take photos of themselves and they leave. How tragic. And like, how about enjoying the sun and the how about beach? Just, and the... Yeah, like, I don't know. I think there's so much time lost and so much time where you would have been working because um, people today, like while they're at work, they're just Instagramming, they're, you know, using the computer at work to yes. put all their stuff up. And it's so pointless. What What is the point, unless you're getting paid, of doing it? What is the point? I don't I don't get it. And I, 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 I'm going to ask you an overly deep, well, maybe it's not question at, yeah. at this point, because you, what, you've just given me this fun. What is the point? What is the point of fashion? Well, or the, is in the end a bit... You know, well, if we my wife kicking me under the table, which not here, but or is it a bit superficial in of itself? If we didn't have fashion, Simon, you'd be sitting opposite me in the nude. Well, I might not. I might have a a boring blue button shirt on with boring blue corduroys and some cheap kind of Blundstone shoes that I bought from somewhere that you know where. It's fashion. Like it or not, you bought it in a what shop? A fashion shop. Okay. Clothes are fashion, and it says a lot about the person and why you made that choice. Yes. Um, and whether you realise it or not, if you see something and you think, oh, that's really nice, I'm going to buy that. Why? Why are you buying it? Otherwise, we should all just be dressed well, in one I'm, colour. I'm giving you a statement about a... myself, which is that I'm a boring, conservative guy who wears boring shirts without any patterns on them. Mind you, that's better than those middle-aged male shirts with all the patterns on them. <laughs> yeah, so that's fashion gives us choices. And, and they does, tell us who we are. It does, and it puts you in your box. It's like people who drive cars. What car do you drive, and does it denote who you are? Like, yes. I always think people who drive Audis are... Did you see the car I came in today? No, I didn't. Is that an Audi? That's <laughs> an old beaten up Audi. Oh, right. To be fair, that's okay. Say, okay. what were you going to say? I was going to say gonna they're me. shocking, shocking drivers. <laughs> they just don't care about anyone else. They put their foot down. It's like, oh, just, yeah, I've got a name for them. And it's like, oh, God, one of those. BMW people aren't far behind. And four-wheel drive people don't even get me started on the bloody Range Rover. You know, the worst ones are those, um, 
you know, the, 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 the SUVs that are in the, in the name of, we talked about McLaren, I don't think they do one, but, you know, the Aston Martin or the Porsche or the Lamborghini SUV, well, they're fast sports cars. They've only made an, a, 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 an SUV to sort of make use of the label. And if you've got one of those, you're a fashion victim. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they go, oh, my car goes, you know, 240. Well, my car, sorry, my car does 100, <laughs> zero to 100 in three weeks. On a downhill and I don't wind care. Wind it. Yeah, well, Pe- Pebbles said. And by Pebbles, of course, you mean your daughter, Pebbles. I can fart and get further up College Hill than I do in your car. And I said, well, then get out of my car. Uh, what, what's the fashion sector like, industry like now? Oh, it's so dis- I mean, it's changed remarkably, but... There are, I mean, there was a point in fashion where every person I knew wanted to be a fashion designer. I want to be a fashion designer. And they do these courses and they come out of these courses and they think they're fully fledged fashion designers. (laughs) And it's, you know, you start at the bottom. Everyone starts at the bottom. You don't come out of business school and become, you know, the manager of the BNZ. You have to work your way up. And, you know, there's a lot of fashion shops and there's just so much of everything now. It's, it's, it, my perception is, and I have some more than just academic knowledge of it, um, that it, it would be, and, you know, you might say this is rich coming from someone who's been in politics, but bitchy. Um, it can um, be. Um, sort of venal, um, gossipy. Is that fear or is that a caricature of it? Um, well, it depends. Like I would imagine if you, your group of friends was just fashion people, it would be awful. Mm. It just would be horrible. Um, and I, most of my friends, I've got a few in the fashion industry, but most of them aren't. Right. And um, they're more in the arts and, yeah, just don't get into that. Anyway, we do have a bitch. Of course we do. Everyone does. Yes. But I think whatever profession you're in, yes. you're going to get that. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> fast fashion, fast fashion, you know what I mean by that? Throw I'm away. Sorry, all, all, all quality. Throw away. Quality, every time. You know, fast fashion, unfortunately, is, you know, the $5 T-shirt. You wash it, it falls apart. You're not going to take it back. You throw it away. It goes into landfill. Mm. But if you buy something and it's made well, it's going to cost you more, of course, particularly if it's made in New Zealand because we have minimum wage. Mm. And you can pretty much guarantee it's going to be well made and it will last you. So you can keep it. And if you love it, 
you want to keep wearing it. You want to wear it season after season. So it's just about how you value things. And, you know, the $5 T-shirt, who made it? Where's it from? How can they retail it at $5 and make a profit? And I think as we've all got more environmentally conscious, that's a, you know, it becomes Oh, that's, yeah, the new thing now, which it does great on me a bit. All these huge corporate companies. We're saving the planet. Oh, you know, our shampoo is plant-based. It's like, yeah, it's got an essence of a daffodil in it or something. You know, that's not <laughs> going to change the world. And our bottles Greenwashing, are plant- they call it. Oh, it's please. Greenwashing. They just jump on a bloody bandwagon to be relevant. Yes. When, why didn't you think of this 10 years ago? Oh, because it wasn't relevant then, but yes. it's relevant now. They just follow these trends, and I find it also fake. It's important to be sure it's actually real and there's something behind it. Um, what is? Well, what, what you're talking about, that, uh, done badly, you're exactly right. Yeah. I think some mean and live it, but I think fundamentally that's, you make a good point. Uh, starving or plus size models? Right. Are you using the word models? I Well, I think I know what I mean when I say models. I'm talking about walking down a catwalk or mm. in a, mm-hmm. I mean, I let me well. Let me answer my own question. I'm for okay. you. For you, <laughs> I do a little bit of that. It is about you, but it's also about me. Let's be honest. Megan um, Markle. <laughs> this don't even compare Sorry. this. Don't even compare Sorry. this podcast to that podcast. <laughs> we're having a real conversation here. You know, we're making some points that matter. You're talking about yourself. He's already told everyone what shirt he's got on, his shoes, his jeans. Okay, well, you know, you don't have I to, have if, I said what I'm wearing? Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Simon, well, it's your not, show. I'm keep not, going, keep I'm, going. I'm not going to characterise what you're wearing because I might get that wrong. Well, well you, you answer for me then. I'm going to put you <laughs> starving or plus size models. Right, okay. Let's let's be honest here. I said this before. Um, when Glassons had the mannequins that someone complained about because they were too thin, and I said, clothes look better on thin people. And I'm saying it again, they do. Okay, if you're a size 8 or a 10, you can wear a very tight T-shirt dress. If you're a size 26, you can wear a tight T-shirt dress, but it's not going to look great Mm. and it's not going to do anything for you. So let's just be real here. You can wear it. No one's going to stop you from wearing it. People might say not nice things about it, but that's up to you. And if you're happy wearing that, you go for it. If you want to wear a bikini, go for it. But on a catwalk, you're selling things. You're selling the idea. You're selling the look. And you've got to find, as a person, things that suit your body shape. No one is perfect. To get that perfect body shape, that model, those people are so few and far between. And that is their livelihood. Mm. They are paid because they're six foot tall and they're thin. They don't eat, usually. They smoke cigarettes. They drink a lot of coffee. And that's not good, though. That's not good. But they have a very limited lifespan. They get to 30, 35, you're out of here. Mm. So they have got, say, 15 years, maybe 20, to make all the money they're ever going to make. The huge, vast amounts of money I'm talking about. Mm. Um, and so to do that, this is what you do. You starve. You make the choice. Mm. They don't have to. No one's bending your arm to do it. You can go and work in the gas station. Mm. Still a reality in the fashion sector, you think? That's yeah. still fun to me. I mean, again, you know, you've got a fashion designer to go, I'm going to send out, you know, an overweight person. 
Oh, God, you just want to get good media, okay? Just let's be real here. We are in the fashion industry. Yeah. Uh, You're a designer. Mm. Favourite designers of all time? World. Francis Hooper. (laughs) You're on message and you said you didn't have a brand. That's a good answer. Um, Others? No. No, I'm not talking Kiwis. I'm you, you... No. no, it's not a sort of a Vivian Westwood or a, I don't know someone else. No. Okay. No, I don't follow. All right, moving right along. Anyone particularly? I don't. Your influences, in terms of what is it? Is it London growing up? Is it punk? Is it I don't know. Um... All of those things. Yeah. Okay. It was all of those things. It's just um, you. Wherever you are, you absorb what's around you, whether you're conscious of it or not, and. You know, living in London all those years, I got to see and meet amazing people and see amazing things and the culture and the time, you know. And I think what you've got to realise is fashion, while some people might not think it's relevant, when you look back through history, you look at a picture and you go, oh, that's the 70s, that's the 80s, that's the 90s, purely because of what the people are wearing and their hairstyles. And that's how, when you look back through history to Elizabethan times, to the Tudor times, you can tell that period by what people are wearing. That fashion is so important. Mm. If we just all wore black smocks, you know, for the past 300 years, we would have no idea what era it was. But fashion has a way of stamping. A lot of Kiwis do do that, though, don't they? What, wear black? Black uniforms. Usually South Island. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly Dunedin, uh, they just love the yeah, black down well, there. Yeah, it's something about the weather. But no, I like I like Dunedin. It's got a lot of character. Just saying, that's the politician. I mean, me. friends who've come from London always said to me, "God, everyone looks like they're going to a funeral in New Zealand." Yeah, there is a bit of that because they're I, always in black. I think there's a bit. Now, I want to talk about your business at a level, not not just briefly. What you've created a, fish, a, a, a serious, significant fashion label and world. What have you? My understanding is you you kind of don't like the business of business. What have you learned, though, and what would you tell a 23-year-old or 24-year-old you who was starting out again? I would say you've got to make your own choices. It's no good listening to the experts who say you should do this, you should do that. If Francis and I had gone to a bank, well, we did, actually, for a loan, and they said no, um, what do you want? Oh, we want to start a business. Oh, how much money have you got? We've got $200 each. And do you own a house? No. Do you own a car? No. Blah, blah, blah. Do you own any furniture? No. No one's going to give you a loan. Mm. And so if you're really passionate about it, you just find a way. You just do it. And I, I don't listen to anyone. Don't listen to those so-called experts who say, change your brand name because I know what I'm doing because I worked at Waddy's. No. You've just got to. But what you have to have is stamina. And I think that it is head and shoulders above everything else. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't get up seven days a week and go, I've got to go in today and it's a nightmare because I've got to deal with this issue or Mm. that issue or all the fabric that's arrived is flawed and I've got to get it sent back and I've got to cut it out and I've got to, you know, that is where people fall down and say, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore. There were so many in New Zealand, young designers starting out, that were heralded in the media and said, you know, they're the next best thing, they're going to be enormous. Three years down the track, 
completely burnt out, mm. completely burnt out. They they bought into it, they did all the parties, they did all the drugs, they did all the drinking and were burnt out. Mm. And to not do that, to keep the consistency and the stamina, you've got to go to bed every night tired, wake up really early and just keep doing it and keep yourself sane and, and know what you're doing and don't buy into that that you're the hottest thing on earth. You're not. You're not. You've got to do it day in, day out when the going's good. When and when the, the going is so, so bad, you just think, I'm going to jack it all in because I've just had it. This is the final straw. But you don't. And, and you keep going. And, you know, people, actually, we were at dinner last night and a, a woman came up to us and we'd known her from like 35 years ago. And she was like, hi, guys. And we went, oh, my God, how are you? And... Uh, she had a very successful business. And she said, oh, look, I've got to say how much I admire you guys. You know, you're still going. And we both went, yeah. And she was like, oh, my God, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know. Um, because so we've seen so many fashion companies come and go throughout the years that we've been going. And, and I can see how it happens because you just, it's too hard. Um, but what we've always thought is, we're so entrenched in the business that we move with the times. Like, we never see things that far ahead that we can't change them. Like COVID, you know, mm. no one saw that coming. Lots of businesses went under. Um, and we just said, OK, we've got to change things. We've got to do things differently. And we've got to adapt to this thing called COVID. And the shops are shut. And... Um, you're like a chameleon. It hasn't all been tough, though. Now you're a dame. Oh, what does that mean to you? It means that you don't get upgraded automatically, which is what Francis Hooper told me I would be. <laughs> oh, my God, once you become a dame, you are going <laughs> to... Now you're a dame. You are just going to travel, and every time you step on the plane, they're going to go... Uh, turn left because you're a dame I'll be turning right and I said oh okay that'll be great well of course that has never happened so thank you Francis Hooper for that very bad bit of information um it hasn't changed anything apart from when you approach people that you want to help you out in your charity events um and they hear you're a dame they do sort of they um, answer the call they do yes yeah. and feel a bit bad if they don't yes um, yes. So, in you're respectable now. A respectable, well, Are yeah, you? I don't know, probably not. Um, but I, yeah, that that does hold a certain something um, in the charity. Yeah, and on that, you because you got it for creativity and community, as I sort yes. of understand it. We've talked the creative, we haven't talked the community. Yeah, uh, causes that are dear and near to you. Um, well, for the past. 14 years I've been working with the IHC mm. um, and for the past, oh, must be seven or eight, I've been the IHC Art Awards ambassador and then a year ago I was asked to also be the patron of IHC New Zealand. Wonderful. And I love that. Mm. I love it a bit. So I travel the country and I meet all the artists and... Does it make you emotional? I, I, oh, I, very. Because I get emotional when I... Very, because, so, you know, if you think my childhood was hard, some of the things you see hmm. are just terrible. People hmm. who were, you know, when their parents realised that they had a disability, just left them at the hospital and walked away. Hmm. And that was it. Hmm. 
And so, you know, they, they still have feelings. And to just be dumped because you don't look or act how they wanted you to be is just heartbreaking for me. And I meet so many of those people. I also meet those people whose parents embraced them, mm. loved them. They have siblings who they see all the time and look after them and take care of them. But the other side to that is the brutal reality of humanity. Yes. And that does really get to me. I just want to hug them because you feel so... Like, you just feel their pain. Because even if they're non-verbal, they know what you're saying. They can understand you. Mm. So it's it's like being in a room and you're mute and you can hear everyone around talking about you or around you, but not to you or at you. And I always brought up pebbles and I said, if ever you see someone with a disability, you go out of your way to say hello. Mm. Even if you pass them in the supermarket, you say hello, whether or not they acknowledge you. It's just the fact that you've told them that you know they're there. And it's and I think it's so important for so many of the people that I work with, um, with disabilities, that they're given the respect that we all sort of hope that we can get. The other one I thought you'd talk about, and I don't want to dwell on it hugely, but it's depression. And I know yes, that you know mental, I'm a mental um, health ambassador. And 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 you know you you have suffered from depression. Well, I think I'm right in front of me, and still suffer oh. from and and. You know, my only sort of questions to you there is, you know, thank you for what you do. And I know you're involved in advertisements on television and so on. And, you know, was were just as in fashion a trailblazer in that area. What what was the, what do you see as the cause of your My childhood. Depression? And I think for so many people, it is the childhood. Things that happen to you that are out of your control, you're young. And those people that are there to look after you and nurture you and love you, and who don't? And how can you not, you know, the first, they say, give me the, the man, uh, give me the boy and I'll show you the man. The first seven years of your life are basically, so you, you get up to seven and then from seven to 14 you change, 14 to 21 you change. You get to 28 and 28 is fundamentally all the things that meant things to you what, till you were seven reappear at 28 all the characteristics that you had whether you were if you were very nice from 1 to 7 and 7 to 14 you were a horrible teenager you will revert back to being the person you were and that's about um the nurturing and and what you went through and a lot of what i saw and what i had to face as a child i don't think people should have had to do that you're made to grow up very fast and you know, I tried to commit suicide at 14, which I've been very open about um, after my father died because I just saw, you know, what's the point? What What is the point? And at that time, I remember my mother saying to me, don't you tell anyone. Do not bring shame on the family. It's just absolutely unbelievable what you did. And my grandmother just tutting when I walked in the door from the hospital going, God, that child, she just doesn't get it. Um, no one said, are you okay? Do you need to talk to someone? And no one said anything. No one said anything. They said, you can have two weeks off and you go back to school. And I went, oh, okay. Um, today it's so different. Mm. You know, if a child at 14 tries to kill themselves, there is a problem. Someone look into it. Someone say, okay, we're going to mm. get help for this child. It's not normal. It didn't happen then. 
And it was seen as, you're crazy. We haven't got everything right, but we've been a welcome, very welcome change in that regard. Um, we have. How have you, what have you found have been successful um, tools, ways to deal with uh, depression? Medication. Right. And um, I think talking about it has been great. And and since the adverts were done, I think over 20 years ago that I was involved in the Like Minds Like Mine, when it's out there in the open arena, it becomes normal. People talk about it. Oh, yeah, I've got that. I've got that. And I found after that, I remember um, a guy stopped me in High Street and I was going to work and he was a very successful lawyer. He had the car, he had the house, he had the trappings, he had the everything. Someone I looked at and thought, oh, my God. <laughs> Might have been an Audi. He's got that. I don't think he had an Audi. No, he wasn't that type of person. He <laughs> was a oh, nice type of person. a low blow. And he got in lift with me and he said, oh, hello, I've got what you've got. And I said, oh, sorry, an Audi? No. <laughs> I said, sorry, what? And he said, depression. And I thought, oh, what? But you're really, like, successful and amazing. And I didn't think that people like that got it, but... They do. Mm. And I think it just taught me that anyone can have it. And it is, it's, it's, a, um, it's something that is you. And it doesn't define you. Mm. And it doesn't mean you're crazy. Yes. It just means you're different. You think outside the square. And that's okay. And what, what I've found quite interesting is in doing these podcasts is it is often the most hugely successful um, who are hard on themselves and sometimes suffer from depression. At this point, I should just mention that if anyone listening is struggling with their mental health, many organisations can help. Yeah. They include the, the 1737 helpline, which offers assistance from a, a trained counsellor. And, and you can and text or call them free 24 hours a day. And use them. Use Absolutely. them. That is what they're there for. And it's not nothing to be embarrassed about. You've just got to deal with it. It's like if you break your arm, which, oh, my God, I can't go to the doctor because I'm really embarrassed I broke my arm. No, of course you go to the doctor and get it fixed. And just because it's in the brain and you can't see it doesn't mean you can't get it fixed. Absolutely. And it's no different from any other ailment in your body that you need fixing. I have a thousand more questions, but we're nearly at an end. I I do want to ask you one random, possibly, in the scheme of everything else we've talked about question. Dalai Lama? Yes, you met him? Yes. Was he sort of serene and genteel, and did you leave feeling enlightened? Very much so. Um, <laughs> I remember Francis saying, don't swear, Denise, don't swear in front of him. Because <laughs> um, I have a tendency to swear, you might have picked that up. Um, yeah, Francis and I were invited to meet him and we, when he was in New Zealand, and there was a group of, I don't think even ten of us, sitting in a room, and he came in and we all got to talk to him and chat to him, and it was incredible, just Absolutely incredible. Did he seem like a holy man? Yes, very much so. Very much so. There's certain people that you sort of revere and think, it would be like meeting the Queen. You know, you're not going to say a naughty word in front of the Queen and you're going to be very respectful. Um, It was a bit like that. And there's not a lot of people I hold in high esteem. No. I tend to treat people... (laughs) Not because I'm looking at you. <laughs> I, I was going to say, oh, yeah, yeah. Are these are the feelings I sort of bring out in you. Audi, Audi drivers. Um, uh. I, I treat generally everyone the same. But I've got to say, um, I was very respectful towards him, as I would be if I met the Queen. Yeah, I would love to meet the Queen. I think our days are numbered very uh, in numbered. that regard, but it would yeah. be a singular privilege.
Now, we're going to end with a section we call general knowledge, mm. and I'm going to wrap up by asking the, the questions we ask. Sort of like that. Oh. Every guest. Oh, God. Um, quiz, not really, though, because you still have to give me a few yarns and tell me a few things. Okay. What single, first one of three, yeah. what single object would you save from your house? A person or an animal or an no, object? No, no, an inanimate. Inanimate. I mean, object. mine would be mine would be a giraffe chandelier because it costs so bleeding much. The markup must God, have been just not the markup go, must have been remarkable. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Um, what would I save? Oh God, I don't know. Because um, you would have a lot of things. Oh, probably photos. Yeah. Of my daughter growing up yeah. and all the fun things we used to do. I, I mean, just I don't want to talk about pebbles, but you mentioned it two or three times. Just on that, you, um, she, she strikes me as um, outspoken, a maverick, some of these things. Mm. Um, you do too. So is the point there, it runs in the genes? Well, sometimes when I've said to her, oh, God, you know, what would you say that for? And she's like, are you serious? Hello, who's with my a, mother? With a mother like <laughs> you. And I always say, well, that's t- you're obviously taking after your father in that department. But she's not. Of course. Well, he's, so, well, just, he's not here to defend himself. My sense is no, he's, he's a not. quite unassuming chap. He, no, he's not unassuming, but he's a very kind person. Yes. He's a very kind person. Um, I'm not saying I'm not, but there are some people that I just, yeah, don't like. Um, but he likes everyone. Wonderful. There's but nothing wrong with that. He could be in politics with that sort of an attitude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's why, um, yeah, what is the, like that probably. What is the best night out you've ever had? Oh, my God. The best night out. Well, I was in a bar with the Dalai Lama. No, uh, <laughs> off the top. And of... along came an Audi driver. <laughs> um, I don't think the Dalai Lama has an Audi. Um, <laughs> probably just off the top of my head was with some very dear friends who lived in Auckland and were returning to Sydney and they had us round for dinner with another couple of friends and we were like up till five in the morning and all we did was laugh and we all came out with stories and it just was one of the best nights I've ever had purely because there were six of us um, and there were the two gay couples, and we all went back so far and the stories and the things we got up to, it was just such a brilliant night. And still, when I see them in Sydney, we talk about that night Mm. because it was just such a great night. And I think just catching up with friends. Wonderful. Yes, well, laughter is, as they say, as it cliche, is cliche as best it is. Medicine. That's the one. What's the best advice given to you and who, if you could remember, gave it? And if you can't make it up. I don't, because people never gave me, well, the advice they gave me was always don't do that. Don't, <laughs> don't swear. Don't do that. I remember one of my earliest was being pulled in by a teacher at school and I was sort of mixing with a bad crowd. And um, we used to turn up for school really late. Mm. And she called me in and she said, look, Denise, I'm just going to have a quiet word with you, but you've never been late in your life. Because my mother was so strict. We never had a day off. We were never late. That was it. And she said, you know, never had a day off sick. You've never been late for school. But, you know, past few weeks you've been coming in late and I know that you're hanging out with a bad crowd. My advice to you would be don't. That's all I'm saying. And I went away and I thought, 
yeah, she's right, I'm going to flunk if I carry on doing this. And I stopped it, stopped moving with the bad crowd. And, yeah, I, I was just being a bit rebellious and smoking on the way to school, even though I didn't oh, I know. I can't believe that about you. I was 13. And I remember thinking, oh, what do you do once you puff the smoke? Because I never had a cigarette. Um, they used to get them. Um, and I didn't even know how to smoke. And when the boys were coming towards us, because they had to go past to go to the boys' school, you know, we'd quickly smoke because we thought we were so cool. <laughs> so stupid. Like, such a stupid, stupid person. But you have to go through those things, and it makes you the person you are. And you look back and think, why did I do that? Because that's what we all do. And, um, yeah, so that bit of advice was good advice. Fantastic. Denise, thank you so much. Uh, we've talked punctuality, giraffes, <laughs> Audis. I think we've talked it all. You've been listening to Generally Famous. There's a new episode out every Wednesday. You can find them at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcast. If you follow us on Apple or Spotify or in any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode without waiting. So that's worth doing, isn't it? I'm Simon Bridges. This is Generally Famous. I really appreciate you listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, well, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.